God's grace and mercy and peace be to each and every one of you from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for this morning is from our gospel reading from Mark chapter 5, verse 34, where I read once more, Jesus declares, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, shalom, and be healed of your disease. This is God's word, brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, I want to find out how many of you, how many of you remember, just raise your hand. I'm going to say a couple of words, just if you've heard it before, let me know. Vegematic, Chopomatic, the Ronco Pocket Fisherman. <laughs> Let's see, there's a barbecue in there somewhere, uh, but I, I, I forget which one it is. Uh, those are all inventions by the late night hawker, uh, so which tells me that you were up late at night at one time too and heard it. Uh, uh, the master of sales himself, Ron Pompeil, or Pompeil, rather. He, uh, he had quite a few inventions to his name. I was doing a little research on him. He uh, wasn't particularly well-educated. He graduated with a BA from a Midwestern university somewhere. But uh, interestingly enough, he was celebrated and became, you know, one of these millionaires by his inventions. But I don't know if it was so much his inventions, but the way he sold them. Because, you know, along with remembering Vegematic, uh, you know, Chopomatic, all these other inventions that he did that were kind of cheesy, but they worked, you know. It's nice to chop onions and not cry over it. That's really, really good. But um, he was the inventor of one sales pitch that was just better than any other. You remember what it was? You can read your summary notes. I mean, really. <laughs> but wait, there's more. At the end of every time, he'd, he'd you know, be hawking whatever he's hawking. You know, he'd get to that, you know, that point where you think he'd say, you know, um, act now, call, whatever. No, he'd say, but wait, there's more. And he'd throw in another one for the same price, which the price was what? 1995, right? Yeah, always 1995. <laughs> Um, but, but he would always do this, and, and through that little quirky sales pitch, you never forgot him, you never forgot his product, never forgot, uh, you know, what. It was a good sale. It was a good, good value. And then he'd, then he'd divert you to the phone number, you know, and many was the time that that uh, phone number was the only thing that saved me from getting a lot of kitchen gadgets that I really didn't need. <laughs> You know, because it was just it was just, just enough hesitation, just enough, and the wait part. There was just enough time for me to gather myself and say, "No, you don't really need this sort of thing." You know, you're doing just fine. You know, uh, bucket up. Onions and tears are meant to be together. So, but uh, nowadays, you know, of course, uh, that seems rather uh, romantically archaic, doesn't it? Right? The wait, wait. Don't buy it yet. Wait. I mean, I go on Amazon now, and uh, it's, it's all I can do is, you know, they've got that big button off to the side that says buy now with one click. And, uh, you know, I, I've got it set up to where I have my fortitude. I have, I'm going to stand against this, uh, you know, this, this uh, uh, sales pitch. Uh, but it's hard because nowadays things are pretty immediate. They're pretty instant. And... Uh, 
Sellers know that too. They, if they can get you to either click right now before you've had a chance to think about it, before you've had a chance to, to consider it, if they can get you to react, they got you. Amazon lives or dies by its clicks. As a matter of fact, most of the Internet lives and dies by its clicks. If they can get you to click more, then they earn more money. Reacting. Rather than responding, that's what they're after. Well, as I said earlier, this morning's gospel reading is probably one of the most unusual settings that we find Jesus in uh, of all the gospels. Um, he, it's sort of a, 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 it's a miracle within and wrapped in another miracle. Both involve healing. The, the wrapped in part is a major healing. It's the, the daughter of the son of the synagogue uh, uh, commander, so to speak, the manager, the one who oversees the synagogue, Jairus by name. His daughter, Tabitha, has been overtaken by some illness, and he's earnestly coming to Jesus, and he's seeking his healing. He wants what he knows Jesus can provide. And a funny thing happened on the way to that healing. Maybe not so funny. A woman who had been sick, ill for years, as we hear from the reading, suffering at the hands of physicians who could do her no good. She'd spent all her money. She had all, uh, she had, she's essentially at her wit's end. She comes up, and here, here's where we hear one of the strangest things we ever hear from Jesus. Who touched my garment? You aren't going to read that anywhere else in any of the other Gospels, in any of the other accounts. Jesus demands to know, who touched me? And the reason he gives, you know, the disciples are kind of like going, you've got to be joking, Jesus, you know. You're kidding, right? Here we are in the middle of this crowd, and you're asking this question, we're never going to find this person. And what, what does it matter? It matters to him. And he says, why? He says, because I felt power, power leave me. It matters. Why would it matter so much to Jesus that power had left him? I mean, that's why he came, wasn't it? Jesus came to heal the sick, to to give the blind their sight, to, to make the lame walk, to the, the deaf to hear. Why would it matter if just one more person took advantage of that? Why would it matter? She was just simply going the opposite direction of, the, you know, of, our, of our famous hawker. You know, she wasn't waiting. For her, it was, but don't wait. She knew there was more. She knew there was more to life. She knew there was more in this Jesus than she had experienced up to this point. She knew this is the guy, if I've got any shot at all of being healed, here's the one. Power. Power to change our lives. So what are you looking for power-wise? You know, 
What are you looking for in your power, in your, your empowerment? You want power over your finances? You want power over uh, your neighbors? <laughs> over the other po- folks driving around you who are doing so recklessly? Um, what power do you want? To get hold of a habit that you cannot break? What kind of power? And what will you do to get it? It's almost like to paraphrase Hamlet, our, our, new, our new slogan should be now to click or not to click. That is the question. Should we go for it? Or should we not? Have we been provoked into that click or simply prompted? In the case of Jesus, in our relationship with Him, Jesus has the power. He has the authority. That is a given. But my question to you, brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, is Jesus a safe Savior for you? Or do you want to sneak up in back of Him? Maybe, you know, tag His robe to get what you want. That is one of the temptations we have. To draw on Jesus, eh, I won't, won't, don't want to bother Him, gosh, you know, confess, no, uh, come and, 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 and tell him my trouble. No, no, I'll just, I'll just yeah, sing by and give a little touch of the robe. Be healed. But that's not what Jesus has in mind. <laughs> when he asked that question, it wasn't about that he only had so much power to go around and somebody had taken a little more than they should have or, or, or preemptive power. It was that they took it and they didn't know what they did. They grabbed from Jesus the power to heal, but they didn't understand it. I got to say, that's where we get that last, very last verse from. And every time you hear that, that Jesus says, you know, after a big miracle, a big healing, y'all don't tell anybody now. Okay? That's what he's talking about. We know what he can do. We don't always understand why he does it. And we don't always know <laughs> that we can come to him anytime, even in our shame, even in our hurt. You know, it's a sin, death, and the devil. They tempt us. They tempt us with fear. That's what was going on with this woman. She didn't want to tell him. She didn't want to ask him. She didn't want to bother him because she was afraid. She was afraid to ask. She was afraid, as all of us probably are, you know, what if he says, 
Not every prayer ends in an affirmative. One of the things you probably have heard taught here is there are three answers to prayer. Yes, no, and not yet. We understand the first one. That's an easy one. Yay! Got it. (laughs) We do not understand the other two. The no especially. We don't understand. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. (laughs) The other one, that's particularly hard. The sin, sin, the devil, the world tempt us with fear. Fear against the other two answers. But I'm here to tell you this morning that there is no need to hesitate when he is near. There's no need to wait. There's no need to delay. But you've got to understand the nature of who you're dealing with. Actually, I should say better yet, who is coming to you? And the question we have for this morning, what blessings await as we dare to step forward to meet him? Well, that again, I'm going to couch in three words, three legs of the stool, if you were, for our reading for this morning. And the three legs are the words full and fear and faith. Full, fear, and faith. Now the full, we find out from these readings and Jesus shows us through, through his love of this woman and also of the synagogue leader and also of the daughter. There is no need to nibble at God. <laughs> There's no need to nibble at God. And I've got to tell you, because his generosity begins with his shalom, his peace, his fullness. I grew up uh, long ago under the ages of, of two different uh, two frames of reference for power, God's power. Moments Norman Vincent Peale, you know, power of what? Positive thinking, right? If you think positively, you can empower your life to go a certain direction. There's a little bit of truth to that, which is fine. And also, the other one was Reverend Ike. I'd hear his broadcasts, you know, coming through and uh, on the TV. There'll be pie in the sky by and by when we die. The power, the power of provision. God's going to give you. Problem with that, it's just power. Raw power. Out of context. Separated from the one whose power it is. There's a fuller understanding of that with the word shalom. Shalom means in Hebrew peace initially. But it's about completeness. It's about fullness. It's about finishing things. There, were a lot, there was a lot in the readings from, from our epistle about bringing things to a completion. God brings to completion. He began this good work in you. He will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the promise. 
But it's not just the stuff that's happening out there. More than that, Shalom talks about the wholeness and completeness of the heart. Because to paraphrase uh, the uh, kids' book, the children's book, um, The Little Prince <laughs> and the Wisdom of the Fox, it is only with the heart that one sees rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Or as the writer of Hebrews said, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's what the ancients were commended for. God in His fullness, He provides more than you and I could ever understand and begin to. His generosity, that's where it starts. And unless it starts in the heart, then all you got is raw power. That's what Jesus wanted this woman to know. That's why He stopped. He delayed. He, you know, he had another healing to get to real quick because it sounded like it was bad and we found out afterwards it was really bad because she died. But this was very important to him. So he stopped. Not to call her on the carpet, but to commend her faith. He wanted to make sure that she knew the fullness of God's love. That she knew it not just in her head, not just in her body, which had been healed, but in her heart. And she did. She went away healed much fuller than she had ever imagined that day because of his love. The second thing was the fear, the fear that she had. <laughs> we still delay until we are desperate. You and I still delay. We put off asking God until it reaches, you know, DEFCON 5. Uh, you know, we just, we just, everything is frantic. That's not how Jesus operates. Jesus invites us in unhurried urgency. If you've ever read Pastor Eugene Peterson's uh, writings, that is one, one phrase he uses quite a bit to do with how God works in our lives and what He calls us to do. Unhurried urgency. The issue we have normally, as I said before earlier, um, well, we don't, we're provoked more often than we're prompted. We react to things more than we respond to them. That's a trick of the devil. My brother Bob, my older brother Bob, he was about three, he's three years older than I am. Um, to his own confession, by his own confession, as he finally did a, about a year ago, he said, I was a devil to you when you were growing up. And he was. Every dorky thing he thought I did, he'd point out in spades, you know, how I walked, how I talked. You know, if he told me to brush my teeth, he could you know, say, what are you, what are you doing? That's, that's so, such a stupid... He made me, made my life a living hell because he made me so self-conscious. That's what the devil does to each one of us and tries to do and continue to do in our lives especially with a relationship with God and with Christ. 
with each other. Tries to make us feel self-conscious so that we're nervous, we're off our game, so that we, we react rather than respond. In this unhurried urgency of how Jesus worked, He wanted to make sure that we would be able to, to be self-aware. Do you know what you're doing? That wasn't to make people feel bad. It was so that they would know the grace of God and the glory of God afterwards. His hesitation here, his unhurried urgency here, he was urgently getting to Tabitha. But he knew he had time. Not the first time. It wouldn't be the last. Lazarus would be one more where he would deliberately hesitate and his disciples saying, you know, what's going on here? Martha, the sister, would, when Jesus finally showed up, say, what took you so long? If you had come when we called you, our brother wouldn't have died. But Jesus showed them why he showed them the fullness, gave us the blessing, the promise, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives in me shall never die. That's the unhurried urgency that he gifts to you and to me in our fear. Wait, but don't wait. I know it's a little paradoxic, but that's what he gives to us. You may seem like I'm waiting, but I'm, I, you're, you're on the top of my list, which is the not yet. And lastly, faith. Faith, oh, so much is encapsulated in the word faith. God blesses our risk to trust. God blesses our risk to trust. And uh, you're probably familiar with this. I learned it here. How do you spell faith? R-I-S-K. Yeah. Learned that years ago. Never forgot it. <laughs> faith isn't required where you don't have to risk to lose. Faith isn't required where you can see where you're going. <laughs> You know, whether, and it is, there is a little, a little thinking thing involved with this too. You know, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. It's your own hesitation sometimes which is the, your worst enemy. That faith, that risk, it is their unforced rhythms of grace. God blesses us, our risk. Because that risk, that faith, it's unforced rhythms of grace. I was talking with someone earlier. Um, my favorite phrase to use with God is that, you know, He could hit us upside the head with a two-by-four if He wanted to and get us to believe. He'll never do that. Because that's like, a forced confession, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, he won't force us to do anything. Again, back to the first part. 
because it is with the heart that one believes, not with the head. He won't get you in a headlock or an arm lock or anything to do with anything like that. It's, it's not his way. <laughs> you know, it's, he, his way, though, we know is not ambivalent. It's not capricious. As, uh, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians in this same letter that we have been looking at for the last couple of weeks, he wrote in the beginning of it about this non-capricious God. He said, he said, you know, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken to us, by us, to the glory of God. That yes creates a safe Savior. It creates the safe space in which we dare to step out into those areas we haven't seen before. That's what there was faith involved with the woman touching his robe. As misguided as it was on one level, it was pure faith on the other. And, and you got to know that's who we're dealing with. That's who we're working with. That's who's blessing us each and every day. You know, faith is a risky proposition. It is. It takes faith to get out on the road these days. You don't know what's going to happen there. It takes faith to actually go out these days. You're not sure what's lurking even in the air around you. But Christ makes it worth the risk. And it proves itself, this risk, this faith, each time you dare to fail, you're going to find Jesus healing on the other side. Wait? There's more? No. I say to you this morning, but don't wait. There is more. More is the essence of God. His good news. His love for you and me. And He blesses us through His fullness, even in the midst of our fear, so that our faith may be proved genuine and become the blessing that He intends it to be each and every day. Go forth. Risk in Christ. Amen. And now may the peace, the shalom of Christ be with you each and every day, giving you His fullness and His love and His healing.